Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, after a long time, it feels like, we have to welcome back Margot McDonald all the way down from Kyneton, and I bet it's cold up there still. It's very cold. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Yeah, it hasn't been as frosty as, you know, last time I was visited when we had to scrape ice off the windscreen. <laughs> so no complaints here this morning. Okay, that's good. That's good because it's been pretty cold in Melbourne. <laughs> it's been a cold winter, hasn't it? But I, it I think I may be acclimatising because I haven't really felt it. Okay. Mm. Maybe your new location where you live is um, slightly more sheltered, would it be? Or is it uh, worse? No, but we've got double glazing and um. solar power and it, all, it just feels good. Yes. You can get in out of the wind. <laughs> that's the way to go. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Excellent. Now, um, I know over winter you take a break with the nursery, the Garden Tap Nursery, but um, you're back in full swing. Yes. Spring has sprung. and We're back there Thursdays to Mondays. Right. And um, it's all getting busy. There's lots of enthusiasm because we've had a bit of rain. Uh, but we haven't been stopping, Pam. We've been busy building our own garden out at our new place. So Fair uh, enough. Yeah, I've gone back to work a bit exhausted, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk a bit more about that in a little uh, while. Possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, um, yes, um, spring coming on. I think everyone's, you know, ready, particularly oh, after are. this winter. They just yeah. want to see a burst of colour come forth yeah, everywhere. Well, things are blossoming, aren't they? And they buds are. are bursting everywhere. And, uh, yeah, spring really is in the air. Yep, fantastic. Yeah. We also have to say a very good morning to James Beatty. Good morning, James. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, everyone. How are you going? Okay, okay. Have you actually managed to get into your own home garden with this weather? Oh, not particularly. It's no. been a, it's been a bit wet, hasn't it? I've just basically been weeding, trying to keep the weeds at bay. Yes. A lot of annual weeds like flickweed and things are starting to gear up to flick their seed everywhere. So yes. I'm trying to trying to get a lid on them before they before they spread their seed everywhere. But um, the rain's been the rain's been fantastic. Despite that, <laughs> you know, it's it's been it's been just. We've had over over sixty mil in the last mm. four weeks at our place. It's, mm. it's really great, um, and I, I planted up the nature strip. I was talking about it last yes, time I was you on. Were. So um, I got the timing right on that oh, very very well. well so done. I'm very happy with it, and it's yep. really rocketing off. It's come a long way already. It's only been about three or four. Really? Weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. What so sort of things have you put in, James? Um, local. <clears throat> I've just I've been off work the last few days with a with a virus, so you have to forgive me if I cough and splutter a bit along the way today. Um, but I've um, I've put in a whole lot of local grasses and um, the local local flax Lina marginale to get a bit of um, to get a bit of colour in there. It has a really beautiful electric blue flower um, in in late spring and early summer. Um, and I've used I've used a combination of grasses, um, some some lower tufting ones, Poa siberiana, um, and for a bit of seasonal height, I put in um, one of the local stipers, um, stiper Ostrostiper rudis. Um, it its inflorescence gets about a, a meter high or so, so. Um, That'll be that'll be a nice seasonal accent that'll happen in the front nature strip. It's going for for like a native grassland effect, um, but it's but it's come a long way already in only three or four weeks. So they're you know they're quick growing things. Mm. Um, yeah, but it's looking great. Excellent, yeah. fantastic. <coughs> we also have to say a very good morning to Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Pam. And um, 
art in the garden. It's all still happening up in Cloud oh, yes, Hill, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we uh, uh, well, we, we have uh, well, six uh, different artists with with work all over the place at the moment. So. Um, yeah, that, well, that's something we're hoping to keep going from now on, actually. Okay. So, so we'll, we'll just reserve two or three areas of the garden for uh, various artists. So um, um, we'll build up each autumn for the winter. Right. So we'll make a, um, a, a song and dance of it uh, over the colder months. Yes. <laughs> and um, But at the moment, it's still winter. There's still another day or so to go, so it's uh, it looks very handsome uh, all this work well have you as you've said before um in a winter garden because it's so um sculpture sculptural you're seeing yeah. the bare bones of, of many of your <coughs> deciduous trees and things sculpture just ties in so well with that structural look doesn't it absolutely yes. no artwork uh, well there's no competition for the the uh, for the actual artwork i suppose <laughs> Well, rather, what architecture is is complementary, and the, the big beech trees uh, looked absolutely well glorious in the winter time. Yes, um, yeah, the, and in fact, I have favourite trees for their winter effect, and I suppose, uh, well, the, the big maples in particular, but also tricolour beech. That's one of the odd things where we have green beech and copper beech all over the place, going back to the old flower farm days when they were planting them for cut foliage. So. Mm. Good grief, I, I think we've got about half the beaches growing in Australia. <laughs> There's a couple of hundred of them, most probably, and they're all pretty big. Um, but the tricolour beach is, is just has a slightly different branch structure to all the others, and, uh, and it's just notable. We've got two or three really big ones. In fact, three big ones. They all came from England back in the old days. Okay. And um, there's something about the the, oh, the the winter effect which just makes them stand out particularly. Now, why is it given the name Tricolour Beach? Um, well, Fagus sylvatica rosio marginata. I mean, it, it's um, now it's if you look at it in spring foliage, each leaf <coughs> comes out a soft coppery colour with a pink fringe, and there's occasionally a fleck of cream. So in theory, wow. there's the three colours, but um, um, generally you only see the pink and the copper. Yes. And it's a soft copper effect, so it's a sort of a grey-bronze look, I okay. suppose. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it does particularly well for us. Mm. And our big ones are up, well, heading up towards... Um, well, 25 metres high or so. Mm. That's so impressive because yeah. aren't they a bit slower growing than the other beaches? Um, a little bit. Um, well, these are coming up 100 years old too. So oh, they we're going to have our 100th birthday for yeah. a few of these trees. <laughs> yes. so that's great. <laughs> well, look, if, if, if the Melbourne Council can have everybody um, talking to trees yeah. around, around <laughs> Melbourne, you know, yeah, you've well, got well, to have a birthday party. Uh, yeah, birthday cakes and candles <laughs> yes. and all sorts, yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you give them for it? Instead of a cake, maybe you know, a bit of seaweed solution. Yeah, yeah. well, I think so. <laughs> um, but uh, oh, these these are particularly lovely ones. It's um, a little bit of a mystery about just where they came from. I was told they came from Fred Streeter. Now, um, now I've been trying to research Fred Streeter in uh, recent times, and um, now he he's mainly famous because he um, was well, a horticulturalist in England, and he, the, the time's about right. But he's mainly famous uh, because he was taken on by the BBC to set up a television gardening program. At a time, there were about twenty television sets in the world, <laughs> and, uh, and the, the BBC was cranking out the first television signals 
anywhere in the world. So okay. this was in the 1930s. And there was Fred with his gardening program. So, so he was the original gardening presenter on television. Fantastic. Right. And he became famous after the Second World War. Um, and there's really no record of him uh, doing much propagating. He was a gardener and, uh, and, a, and a, well, a, a presenter rather than a, um, someone running uh, a nursery. Dare I say, Jim Woolridge himself told me that. So, okay. <laughs> so he should know. Yes, but, he should know. Yes, but it doesn't quite tally. So I'm, I'm just a little bit confused. I do know that these trees, there were about 20, 15, 20 of them, and they're all named varieties, and they did come from England back in 1928. Right. So that's all I can be absolutely confident about. Okay. So I'm just wondering whether Jim was um, just not quite remembering who they came from. Heaven knows. Well, be interesting research to find out mm. a bit more anyway. Um, is there any, any record of any of his, his original gardening television programs? Oh, yeah, he's quite famous, Fred Streeter. So if he – and it is possible that he did propagate these things, and, and, but maybe working with someone else. Uh, so he was taken on by the BBC in the late 30s. So these trees came from England 10 mm. years earlier. Right. It's just curious because we, we do we do have historic uh, associations between uh, well a number of our plants came from quite famous people and um, azaleas that came from Chinese Wilson I mean that, that's pretty amazing too yes <laughs> and that was 1922 and I know the story there um, that um, Chinese Ernest Wilson wasn't he now he was an American nurseryman. Uh, plant hunter, right. one of the famous plant hunters, yes. spent a lot of time in China and hence he was he's that, known as nickname, Chinese Wilson, yes. <laughs> um, um, Yunnan province, uh, several collecting trips through that part of the world back in the, well, the early years of the 20th century. But he was collecting azaleas around the Kurum prefecture in Japan in the years just after the First World War mm. and he... Um, he uh, Exhibited them at the San Francisco World Trade Exposition of 1922. Good heavens! And Teddy Woolrich heard about this and sent off and was sent the complete collection. And those groom wow. azaleas, there were 50 of them, though. And those, you know, Kieran and Hino de Geary and all those famous old grooms, going back to that collection, they all have numbers after them. And Hino de Geary is number. I don't know, 23, yes. 46, something yes. or other, but, but they were all 1 to 50. Right. And they, they all came in, were planted uh, just in the bottom half of the property uh, back in 1922. So that was the beginnings of the old nursery. Right. Mm. And, and, and how are, I mean, are many of them there now? Oh, there's a few of them still there. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're, That's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. Not, not far to go to 2022. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about the trees on the property, are any of them actually um, on the National Tree Register? Uh, the, well, or they're not f- quite old enough? Or? Well, there's a, yeah, well, there's a few that uh, uh, there's, notes have been taken over a number. I must admit I haven't really followed this up. I suppose that the, the most notable one at the moment is our Magnolia denudata, which is just coming into flower for us, mm. 
And that is just looking magnificent mm. this year. Mm. Managed to keep the possums off it. <laughs> oh, yes, that's the hardest bit. <laughs> and the rosellas, yeah, they've, yes. they've gone off somewhere else for the winter. And <laughs> Do you have any tricks for keeping the possums off? Well, just the usual one of, of, of uh, we had an arborist go up and create a little bit of a gap between that and another tree to... Uh, stop access. A, yes, mm. to stop the possums from leaping across. Mm. So there's about a one and a half metre gap. Right. And uh, and a little bit of um, um, plastic around the trunks, mm-hmm. which is slightly annoying. But but we do have a tree with heaven knows four or five hundred blooms about to flower, mm. or wow. just coming to flower at the moment. It, it is unearthly. <coughs> that's that, it's that's worth a, a trip up to Cloud Hill. Oh, in yeah. a, I mean, it's oh. just a simple old magnolia denudata, but but it's a it's one of the loveliest of the species, mm. and, and uh, of course the Solangianas will. Uh, derived from Denudata. Mm. So, um, we'll take plenty of photos this year, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> they never happen again. You just don't know. Well, we did go for several years, the possums uh, having a nice old time. Yes. <laughs> Not too many flowers. Yes, no. <laughs> I'll blow this, and so we spent a bit of money and on an arborist, and there was a bit of a tricky job to get up there to create the gap. I'm sure, mm. yeah. Now, Jeremy, last time I was up at Cloud Hill... Um, you're also having a lot of trouble with the lyrebirds. Has <laughs> any of that abated or is it still um, ongoing? Well, I was showing some people around yesterday and, and, and as we were walking around, it was a, quite a lovely day. We're just getting rained on just a little <clears> bit <throat> as we walked around. We spent an hour or so and in that time we ran across three groups of lyrebirds. Oh, dear. <laughs> and one of them put on the show for us as we stood in the mud. So you've forgiven yeah, them for five well, minutes? <laughs> well, a whole property uh, the uh, in fact the whole that, that part of the mountain it's just every inch of it yes. looks as though someone's been over it with a hoe yes. uh, and, no it's all lyrebirds and yes. which is i mean in some areas it's quite attractive but in, uh, but on the edge of paths well uh, the soil tends to end up on the paths a little bit <laughs> yeah of course so, so we're running around every monday morning sort of raking our paths uh, clean of mud um, well, I was certainly I, I, digging I, I, up the lawn there. It's yeah, unbelievable. That, yes, well, that's a little bit of a concern, and and <laughs> 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 we're still not too sure what to make of it because we've never seen such numbers before. We, um, I mean, um, seventeen one morning. Uh, seventeen. <laughs> Goodness. Oh. Yeah, and uh, seventeen lyrebirds can yes. can do a. Well, they, they do a lot of gardening. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, so we're kind of still not too sure what to make of it. Um, it'll be interesting spring. But generally the food supplies build up in the forest just down below us and they, mm. they go off and concentrate on other things. Mm. And uh, so we'll, we'll see how we go. Yes. In the meantime, they they are amazing. They're just absolutely mm. stupendous birds. And, mm. and uh, I was reading Tim Lowe. Um, a few months back uh, on his book on where song began. <coughs> and to my amazement, I discovered the lyrebird is the original songbird. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a very, very ancient bird. Mm. And, um, <coughs> and all these songbirds, which up until a few years ago, the, the theory was that they originated in the, in the northern hemisphere and, and moved to the southern hemisphere, and they arrived fairly recently in Australia. No, it's the other way around. <laughs> they, they originated in Australia with with the ancestors of the lyrebirds, most probably what forty five million years back, 
and then and then spread from Australia okay. to the rest of the world. Mm. My and, and when we stand there and listen to a library, we're listening to 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 you know it's it's a kind of a living fossil in a way. Mm. Um, and it just so happens that the original songbird happens to be one of the best as well. Right. <laughs> yeah, the shows are pretty dramatic. Yeah. Mm. I'd always imagined the original <laughs> songbird was something like a nightingale, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so did I. Yes. But, but it's actually, um, well, DNA testing, and, and that, that's so precise that, it, uh, that, that there was no argument when, when, the, when, when these um, – sp- uh, uh, when the uh, research was done, there's uh, well, <laughs> no, songbirds began with the lyrebird. That is fascinating, mm. truly fascinating. Mm. Okay, let's quickly get back to <laughs> art in the garden. Now you say it's 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 going to run through. Um, I know you want to make this an annual event of of making a feature of it in the winter gardens, but you're going to keep some of those pieces in the garden. <laughs> As yes. Well, well, well. Yeah. So, uh, um, well, uh, people are welcome to buy a piece and take it with them, and uh, but we'll try and keep a, a reasonable display of artwork in the gardens. Um, well, twelve months of the year, and mm. we'll do it on a continual basis. So we'll have. Um, there's, there's a lot of people doing interesting work, and and much of it does tie in with gardens. And Rudy mm. Jass's work is kinetic sculptures. I mean, mm. they've been featured in gardens in various uh, magazines one can think of for fifteen years or so. Yes, uh, twenty years. In fact, we we did an exhibition with him back in the nineties, uh, and he was doing water features. In fact, he, he was doing furniture. If you go back far enough. <laughs> <laughs> but he did a, an exhibition of water features with us, which was very successful. And at that, only at that stage did he move out from his carport where he had been Gosh. making all these pieces. And actually, um, <laughs> he uh, moved into a studio at that point. So that was around about 97, I think. Mm. So, uh, but uh, he's been doing, he's one of the, dare I say, one sculptor I can think of who's actually made a quite a good living out of what he's been doing for a long time, for That's good. 20 years now. Yes, great. Um, Ted Seckham, uh, he's another local artist and, and he's he's been, uh, now he's a ceramicist. So, so Rudy Jass works in stainless steel and um, um, copper, uh, core steel in particular, so the, the uh, sculptural grade steel which rusts but then forms a patina which doesn't... Uh, Corrode any further, it forms a, a firm surface, and so a quartan steel is something which is going to be there for thousands of yes, years. Yes, your sculpture is not going to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the sad things about a lot of imported work that comes in oh, and sold, and, yes. and it's just very thin yes. and it's rusting. And I look at it and think, well, that's good for fifteen years, max. <laughs> Definitely, max. <laughs> um, yes, whereas uh, Rudy's uh, serious uh, artwork. Um, Ted Second works in um, uh, porcelain. He's a ceramicist, and and he um, was and he has a studio just out of Yarra Glen. He's quite a keen gardener himself. Um, he and his wife used to run B and Bs, which were just spectacular. <laughs> David Attenborough stayed with Ted and Anne. Uh, when he was filming Lyrebirds, if you will. There you go. <laughs> Just to connect up a few dots here uh, uh, for his Life of Birds series. So that was a fair while ago too. 
And Ted and Anne have always had a very serious gardener, uh, garden. And uh, originally at Steels Creek, now they've moved to, to the other side of Yarra Glen. Um, and um, but Ted is is making small pieces, and he's had three three pieces at least accepted into the Australian um, National Galleries collection mm. just in the last six months. Wow! So he he does work which is absolutely on the top international level. Yes, and we just happen to have three of his fountains <laughs> sitting there, <laughs> which is something we've been chatting about for years. And yes. and, and he actually worked in with um, Rudy uh, with um, Rudy Jass. Um, making these fountains. So Rudy put together the frame and Ted made the porcelain pieces so people can come along and see these quite extraordinary fountains. Fantastic. Okay. Mm. We should say when uh, Cloud Hill's open seven days a week. So. Yep. So we're, we're just out of Alinda on the Alinda Monbog Road and, and people are – so it is open um, every day. Um, in fact, we've got a new website at the moment. Oh, really? <laughs> and we're trying to figure out now what days do we, we say we're closed because we've got the Diggers Club operating our nursery nowadays and so they, they close <coughs> on about five or six days a year. But we only close, I think it's three days we've decided. Um, otherwise, it's open for the rest of the year. Yes, fantastic. Which is a, and that's an interesting thing too because we're, what we're doing is modelled on um, quite a few English gardens, dare I say, that uh, generally were made as serious private gardens. And, mm. and at some point, someone in the family thought, right, well, this Let's is so good. How do, yes, how do, we, how do we pass this on to the gen- next yes. generation? And, and places like Hidcote and Sissinghurst and Great Dixter, mm. um, there's always that problem. Well, this is a little bit too good just to allow to disappear. Yes. And so there's a number of these places, of course, generally operated by the National Trust nowadays, and uh, that uh, are maintained as as uh, period examples of a serious garden, I mm. suppose. And that's what it's modelled on. Mm. And um, but those those places generally open for about uh, six, seven months of the year, and then they close for the winter, of course. Mm. Yeah, well, they'd have to. And and. That's true for pretty well all of them. Yes. There's one or two are trying to keep going during the winter, but we decided straight off that, no, no, we have to keep going 12 months of the year. And so that's always been a little interesting thing for us. And then, and that's partly why we incorporate artwork into the garden mm. to, to give lots of interest for people walking around mm. in June and July. But it's fantastic because gardens do change <laughs> with every season, as, as we all know. And, mm. and it's so wonderful to be able to see a, a good garden in, in all its glory in the different seasons. Absolutely. Well, I, I come from Western Australia where there were no proper winters. Yes. <laughs> or rather, the winters are really great fun in WA. They're just a nice, wet, cool season for thoroughly enjoying yourself, and they're mild. <laughs> <laughs> but they're not really winter. <laughs> and, and coming to Melbourne, uh, I came and spent some time with the family in the, uh, on two or three occasions in the 70s. I thought, oh, wow, this is proper winter. And to my mind, driving up into the Dandongs or driving up into Mount Masset and, and driving into mist was just an extraordinary thing. Mm-hmm. And I was in my 20s, early 30s at the time. <laughs> Impressive. So, so I've always said, oh, come on. It's one thing that Australians should um, – 
experiences is a little bit of brisk weather and and walking around a Mm. a winter garden. Absolutely. Yep. While we've been mentioning Cloud Hill, I will (laughs) mention that, as you said, it's also part of um, the Diggers uh, group. And uh, (coughs) Diggers are going to be running uh, two workshops on next weekend. Um, On Saturday, the 5th, um, they're running an Espalia workshop. This is starting at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's uh, being run by Mike Nielsen and uh, it's uh, going to be taking you through all the Espalia pruning techniques, which is uh, people are finally becoming more interested in Espalia, thank goodness. Um, But it's something that... uh, Really, the best way of learning it is to see someone demonstrating it and doing it. Um, now, there are limited places. Um, <clears throat> the cost uh, for members of diggers is $29. For non-members, $39. And uh, the workshops will run from for approximately one and a half hours. Um, now, the second workshop is the following day, which is next Sunday, the 6th. And this is a wicking beds workshop on how to build a wicking bed. Now... If you're going to really be um, serious about wanting to try and grow <coughs> your own veggies in your own backyard, a wicking bed is a fantastic mm. way to go. Because and saving water. Absolutely <coughs> saving water. But it means that also you're not a slave to the hose every day running mm. out. No, the veggies are wilted and, in fact, sometimes twice a day if the weather gets hot. A wicking bed is fantastic. So this is a workshop to... Um, to show you just how to create your own uh, raised garden bed using the wicking system. And this is being run by Marco Beretta uh, from Edible Landscape. He's an edible landscape designer. And, again, um, the workshop will run for approximately one and a half hours, uh, cost 29 for members, 39 for non-members, now, both of these, as I say, next weekend are being run up at Cloud Hill, so it's an opportunity to go and have a look at the garden as well. It's at 89 Alinda Monbolk Road in Alinda. Now, um, to uh, book, uh, you need to uh, phone, and the number to phone, which is actually the garden shop uh, number there at Cloud Hill, is 9781 Zero five eight four. That's nine seven eight one zero five eight four. Now, getting on to some of our other announcements because we have got a few things happening. Um, being on the cusp of spring, of course, everything's going to really take off over the next few weeks. Firstly, today, if you haven't planned anything to do today, uh, there's a big orchid sale and show uh, down in Sky. It's a being held at the KCC Park in the Box Hall Pavilion. The actual address is 655 Western Port Highway in Sky. Now, it's open from 9 o'clock through until 4 o'clock this afternoon. And uh, cost entry is adults $10 as a concession of $8. Children under 15 are free. Now, there's going to be over 20 orchid displays um, there's a chance to buy a wide variety of orchids from seedlings to plants in flower. There'll be bulbs, bromeliads and more. There's a photographic competition and art show. There'll be books, pots, accessories, free parking, potting demonstrations and experts on hand to answer your questions. There will be a kiosk available as well if you need some food down there. So that's all happening today. Uh, now also today and running through until the 28th of September... 
Hancock's Daffodil Garden Festival is in full swing, or should I say full bloom. Now, the the farm is open daily from... Uh, on the weekends, it's open um, from 10 through till 5. On weekdays, 11 through till 4. And uh, you'll be able to enjoy colourful and extensive indoor and garden displays, a huge variety of fresh-cut flowers, potted daffodils and collector's bulbs, and there'll be complimentary tea and coffee. There's a pip- picnic ground opposite, and that is uh, totally free entry for that garden daffodil garden festival. Now, <clears throat> the farm address is on the corner of Belgrave, Jembrook Road and Grantula Road in Menzies Creek. Melway's map reference there is 124E11. <laughs> now, also uh, a few other things that are happening today. Uh, the Gardens of Glen Lyon Winter Festival is on today. There'll be five Glen Lyon Gardens open for this weekend um, so it's a good time to go and explore, as we've been talking about, um, winter gardens. Um, now, there'll also be, um, uh, <clears throat> there'll be um, the Glen Lion Hall open, and that's going to be um, hosting expert info. It's going to have plant and product sales, and also that's where you get your garden tickets from. Now, also over the weekend, there'll be uh, lunches and refreshments available at Ellender Estate Winery and the Glen Lyon General Store. So if you'd like to head up to have a look at some of those gardens, head to Glen Lyon Hall and uh, then you can get all the information about where the uh, gardens are and also uh, have a look at some of the plant and product sales there as well. The cost to visit each garden is $5, so you can purchase tickets there. It's uh, about 5K or five minutes really outside of Dalesford. Right. And not too far from Kyneton. Right. That lovely country drive in between Dalesford and Kyneton. Wonderful. So you could make a real day of it. You Mm -hmm. could make a day of it going around there. And uh, all the daffodils are out in Kyneton and uh, the Golden Mile, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. You know, you get overdosed with uh, yellow with all the bottles (laughs) and the daffodils. But anyway, it's worth going up. But Glen Lyon... Their soils are just like 15 foot of, of red soil, oh. a bit like Cloud Hill. But um, <laughs> if you want to see shrubs and things, you know, big, bold things, that's the place to go. Wow. And, um, yeah, good time, as you say, see the bare bones of gardens. Yes. And um, lots of farms and animals. And yes, Just wonderful. really lovely around there. And Beautiful. while you're mentioning Kyneton, you've got a Daffodil Festival coming up. Yeah, it's starting next weekend, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Friday of next week, and uh, plenty to see, some beautiful gardens. Okay. Um, again, bare, but lots of bulbs. The emphasis yes. on the bulbs. I'm there. sure. Yeah. A uh, few gems in there. And for the blokes, there's one um, called Tel Dorado. He's part of the festival. Uh, Terry Moore is garden. Uh, he takes, he says, quote, I take no inspiration whatsoever from Paul Bangay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a garden put together with purely oddness in mind. And he's constantly adding to his garden and wants other people to enjoy it too. He's got... Um, a cafe there set up where food's available, mm-hmm. and it's called the Roadkill Cafe. Oh, right. <laughs> so that might give you an idea of the quirkiness of it. Okay. And, you know, just it'll be a nice contrast for everything else. And uh, very interesting for guys interested in old machinery and, yes. you know, bits and pieces. So yes. Something mm. for everyone. Wonderful. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Now, I've still got quite a few to mention. Um, what I might do is invite 
listeners to join us and open up our talkback lines while I'm going through some of these other announcements. If you'd like to phone in and ask a gardening question this morning, we've got Margot McDonald from the Garden Tap Nursery. We've got James Beatty from ABC Gardening Australia. And we've got Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill uh, Garden in the studio. So if you'd like to uh, ring in and have a chat to us, the number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or this morning we have Liz on the outside line. If you'd like to have a chat to Liz, 94198377. Okay, getting back to what's on today and uh, one of my favourite places to go and visit is having an open day today and um, that is our our good friends at Rose Creek Estate. Now, have you been out there, James? No, no, I've never, oh, I haven't made it there as it's yet. It's fantastic. Mm. It's just, just absolutely wonderful and um, Tony and Lena have just, they're amazing people. Mm. Um, it's set, it's in East Keelor, it's in a normal suburban street, mm-hmm. number two Craig Street in East Keelor. You walk down their driveway and suddenly the whole back opens right out, right down to the bottom of um, Rose Creek. Great, great. And uh, the most amazing vegetable garden, orchard. Um, olive groves. Olive groves. They've just got an incredible array of plants. <laughs> Tony's, Tony's grafted Eggplant trees are just incredible. Um, he's he's become a real master at, at grafting those. But um, there's going to be wine and olive oil and olives from the estate. Um, taste the latest releases. There's going to be the Victorian Herb Society will be out there. There'll be coffee. There'll be music. Uh, there'll be oven-baked bread. Uh, Stephanie Alexander's Kitchen Garden Foundation will be cooking up delicious wood-fired pizzas. Um, you can view the garden, watch the baby chickens. There'll be guinea fowls. Uh, there's a peacock out there. And you can uh, do a tour around the garden, uh, which uh, you can accompany either Tony or Lean around the garden and hear all about uh, what they've achieved out there. It's just amazing. So I do recommend that to anyone who hasn't been out there. 11am this morning, running through until 4.30. Entry is $5 and that always goes to um, a worthy cause. So um, I do highly recommend that. And you won't go home hungry, James. If no, you go and visit no. You definitely they, won't. They feed you so well. <laughs> I know what I'm doing for lunch <laughs> and dinner, I reckon. Yeah. Take some produce home. Oh, yes. Fantastic. No. Pam, I was lucky enough to go there one day and uh, they were they picked some of the olives, you know, yes. with the big machinery. Yes. Took it back to their olive press. And there were two, one Greek fellow and, and Tony, and they literally danced for joy when the first bit of the first press of the, the olives came out. Right. And they quit going at the bread from, from the kitchen. <laughs> Stop up the, they, they just were so excited. The yes. passion is just Oh, the passion you know, is incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, a few to mention now uh, that relate to uh, next weekend. Uh, firstly, Friends of Burnley Gardens, uh, they've got a plant sale, uh, 10 o'clock through till 4 o'clock next Saturday, the 5th of September, but it's also open day at Burnley. Uh, now, this is run in conjunction with uh, Melbourne University. Uh, now, there'll be free guided tours of the gardens led by Andrew Smith, who's the garden coordinator. He's doing a one-hour walk around the gardens at 1030 there's going to be a talk by David Glenn from Lamley Nursery. He's speaking at 11.30. Uh, there's a full program for the whole open day. 
Um, there's going to be an introduction to pruning with Brian Shields and um, this will take place uh, 10 o'clock uh, through to 1 o'clock. No, it can't be. Surely, yes, it is. Uh, with a going through, uh, it's a full uh, workshop, uh, limited to 20 participants though. Cost is 35 for members of Friends of Burnley, 55 for non-members, and BYO, secateurs, closed shoes and gloves. And, uh, of course, there'll also be a huge display and uh, of the various careers in horticulture that uh, are offered out at Burnley by uh, the University of Melbourne, and there'll be plenty of uh, people on hand there to talk to about uh, not only undergraduate but also graduate and short courses being run there, including things like arboriculture and urban forestry, community and school garden facilitation, green infrastructure, landscape design and construction, parks and gardens management, uh, production and retail plant nurseries, research, education and media, and revegetation and land care. And of course, the famous Burnley Green Roof will be open there as well. So a lot to see down at Burnley next Saturday, 5th of September. Now, uh, also next Friday, September the 4th, is the next meeting of the Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group. They'll be meeting at 7.50. Trevor Blake, who uh, many of us know, uh, particularly from the uh, encyclopedias of um, Australian plants that uh, was uh, co-authored with uh, Roger. Roger Elliott, of course. Uh, Trevor will be presenting on some stunningly beautiful but rarely grown plants from Australia's desert region, regions entitled Salt Bushes and Other Dryland Beauties. Now, the venue is the Uniting Church, corner of Roberts Road and Glenis Avenue in Airport West, all are welcome. If you'd like more information about that one, you can contact the secretary, Anne. Her number is nine double three six three double two eight. Now I've got heaps more coming up for the twelfth. Um, I just uh, might uh, come back to those, and uh, because there's some wonderful things coming up, also for you to mark down in your diaries, but to just give people. A chance to uh, give us a call and phone in on the lines. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, <coughs> do give us a call. As I said, the number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. Um, we've got our first caller. We're going to go to Robert, who's in Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Hello, how are you all? We're well. Oh, beautiful morning. Yes, got rain down there, Robert? Had a lot of rain. Okay. Yeah, we've only been here oh, a few months from, we come from Morwell, but uh, yes, a lot of rain mm-hmm. and, and things are really jumping away. I bet. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, the uh, I, I was in the vegetable garden uh, earlier this morning and the... Uh, uh, the cauliflowers are getting a heart. Mm. The uh, the carrots are getting away. The silver beets really bursting forth. The spring onions are jumping out of uh, out with joy. So the vegetable <laughs> garden is looking very good. Right, you're going to be eating well soon, Robert. <laughs> yes, yes. I like to take uh, some vegetables to go. I go to the Anglican Church here, and it's nice to take vegetables 
and put them on the table and you see people, their eyes light up when they see fresh vegetables. Absolutely. And uh, I had a very good week. I went out rabbiting and caught four rabbits. All right. So roast rabbit for tea uh, Tuesday night. Sounds good. <laughs> Phillip Island is a very good place to go rabbiting, I have to say. Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Roast rabbit with new potatoes, <laughs> silver beet, and some echelots, and I've got three nice rabbits to take. Uh, I've got to go back to Morwell today. I've got three nice rabbits to take to Morwell to give away. Fantastic. Uh, people there that love love a rabbit. Uh, look, what I was uh, just going to ask, I see a lot of tomatoes now in the uh, shop's seedlings. Do you think it's a bit early? Or? Yes. Definitely. Definitely yes. too early. So you would you would hold off it with look. I would hold <laughs> off till at least October personally mm, mm. in now, Melbourne. Right. What about seed? It's a good time now to start putting. Definitely up. yes, yes. Start. You, you can. I've I've already started raising a few uh, seeds on my window ledge in the kitchen, um, ready for planting out. But certainly, I wouldn't be planting out anything until October. Anything on mm. until October. Yes, and just too <laughs> cold. They always put them on sale too early, and and that, way too early. I, I was standing in queue, you know, waiting to get all your stuff scanned, and there's people buying tomato plants, and I just want to go, no, don't do it. Yes, <laughs> you're just going to be disappointed. I mean, maybe if you've got a glass house, you know, you <laughs> might want to give it a try because I don't know why we have this this um, obsession. It is an obsession <laughs> that we we must. Someone has to be able to skype that they had tomatoes for Christmas, but mm. I don't know where that first came from, no. but. But, but personally, I would I would definitely hold off, Robert. But if you've got, I mean, I'm I'm delighting. I've managed to get hold of some um, some different heirloom tomato seeds this year, which I'm oh, yeah. just bursting to try. And mm. so I've actually got those started off in uh, in some little um, jiffy pots on my window ledge, and I'll I'll do a few more in a few weeks' time mm. so I can stagger some of my mm. plantings. But um, yeah. Yes, uh, that's good advice. I, I, I'm starting to put in some Virginia stock uh, seed. I, I reckon they're a lovely little flower that, that creep over the rockery and such. So yes, I agree with you. I find um, I get success with them by growing them from seed mm-hmm. and then when they're about an inch high, carefully lift them out and then transplant them. Right. I, I seem to get a bit of, bit of success doing that, but some say they're better to be put straight in the ground from seed, mm. not grown in seed pots. Look, if you're having success from it, Robert, just mm. keep on doing what you're doing. You're obviously doing the right thing. That's great. Yes, yeah. Okay, I wish you all the very best and hear from you again next week. Okay, good Enjoy on you. your rabbits. Good on you, Robert. Oh, yes, I'll, be ch- oh, I'll, be, I'll be chasing more next week. I've got a new ferret. <laughs> and uh, I've got permission and, uh, oh, no, I'll be... Uh, Excellent. Look, spring rabbit. Spring rabbit. Nothing nicer than a, a nice uh, roast spring rabbit. And you, you're doing, a, you're doing a, a great service for all the gardeners to keep that population down. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye. I was wondering where the ferrets might be involved. <laughs> Yes, in the the book, uh, the Cloud Hill book, which we put out a few years ago, there's a a photograph of my father in the West Australian wheat belt uh, with a a tiny little black and white thing, two inches by two inches square, then the photographs from the Great Depression, and uh, just labelled on the back in pencil, catch of the day, and there he's standing, I guess he's about 12, 14 years old, and with about... 
20 rabbits <laughs> laying up with these things. Yes, and, yes you would have seen your fair share Curiously enough, that, that farmer's right on the, um, on the what, it sh- what should have been the rabbit-proof side of the rabbit-proof fence. Ah. So the big rabbit-proof fence, which runs through yes. from the south coast all the way through to the Timor Sea, uh, it was within walking distance of the rabbit-proof fence on the rabbit-proof side. Except mm, not the rabbit-proof. The not-so-rabbit-proof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, well, yes. Okay, I'm going to, uh, while we're waiting for some more calls to come in, and I will give those numbers again, 94190155 to speak to the team on air or to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. I have three more announcements that I really must get to. Now, these are all for the... Um, Weekend of the 12th, 13th of September. So they're ones for the diary, but they're, they're good ones and really shouldn't be missed. Now, the first one is the Red Hill Spring Garden Festival. Now, this is taking place on the 12th of September, 9am through to 3pm. Uh, it's down at the Red Hill Showgrounds, which is at Arthur's Seat Road in Red Hill. And they're hosting their fourth festival, it's being presented by gardeners for gardeners. Now, there's going to be um, experts uh, in their field sharing their knowledge in the big blue marquee. Now, we have um, a huge panel uh, of people. Uh, we have Marcel Nancurvis. Uh, we have Glenn Yearsley, um, who's a native plant landscaper and nurseryman. Marcel, of course, is an author and sustainable farmer. We've got uh, Jane uh, Varkulavisius, uh, who's an author and expert in pruning for fruit and flowers. Then at, that's all at 9.45. Then at 11 a.m., we have <coughs> Melissa King, uh, who's a gardening expert and also with wide media experience. She's uh, presenting Gardening in Spring. And at 12 noon, Professor Tim Entwistle, who, of course, is Director and CEO of Melbourne Botanic Gardens, including Cranbourne. And he's presenting rock stars of the plant world. I wonder, ah. I wonder, can you nominate a rock star? What do you oh. think is a rock star of the plant world? Oh, good question. Jeremy, oh. any ideas? <laughs> <laughs> does that mean they grow in rock gardens or um, does it mean they just stand Perform out? Well, uh, well yes. Dan Hinckley perhaps? Mm. Um, yeah. In fact, I, in fact, I was just uh, chatting with um, one of the boys from Antique Perennials, uh, the, the extraordinary nursery up in King Lake. So it's wholesale nursery, so you can't visit. But they they supply a lot of nurseries, including us. And uh, he's just back from visiting Dan Hinckley. Okay. Uh, he spent a, a few weeks over there. Um, uh, just got back only two or three weeks ago with a bundle of plants which mm. are going through quarantine. Yes. Very exciting. Mm. That's, that's interesting. really, really interesting actually because that he, this is the fourth or fifth trip now and it all started in 2009 after Black Saturday. Okay. And the, the Matthew and Michael were right in the middle of it and lost everything. And mm. Dan Hinckley actually heard about it and invited uh, Matthew Cross and uh, that following spring, so he arrived back in Australia with a bundle of epimediums, which right. are now in the nursery trade, mm. right. and courtesy of that um, Black Saturday, really. Yes. So that that's a continuing relationship. Okay. But who, apart from Dan Hinckley, because Dan Hinckley is, is he's definitely a rock star of the plant world. Um, no, I, I'd be, okay. I have to go along and find out. 
Speaking of those epimediums, Jeremy, one of those boys is a real uh, plantaholic as far as epimediums. Oh, both, both of them, and, yeah. And he's secret, because I love them too, and he, when I went to visit, he said, come over and look at my new epimediums. He was so excited. And I said, now look, just how many different epimediums have you got? Okay. He said, no, I can't tell you. I'm too embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> and I wheedled it out of him, and he had, at that stage, that was a couple of years ago, 101 different varieties of mm. epimedium. Yeah, I don't think they're actually propagating all of them. But no, are, definitely But not. there they're are collectors. some extraordinary things among, mm. amongst those plants. And uh, they're, they're fairly straightforward for people to grow. They're, they're, they're one of those rather useful plants that grows where nothing much else will, in yes, shade and, and, and slightly drought. dry conditions. Yes, yeah. yeah. But I hope he's not listening because I promise not to tell anyone. <laughs> okay, we'll change the subject. I'll get back to the Red Hill Spring Garden Festival because um, apart from all those speakers, uh, there's going to be a traditional flower show uh, with uh, obviously a display of fra- flowers and produce, floral uh, arrangements, school exhibits. Um, there's going to be uh, gardening goods and services, vendors there. Uh, there's going to be lots of hands-on gardening activities for children, uh, things like making seed bombs, floral headbands, created terrarium, uh, gardening kits and plant terracotta pots for strawberries. Uh, there'll be food available. All activities are undercover, which is good to know, including the food area. And uh, cost is $5 per adult to access the full festival, so... Definitely an affordable day out and children enter free and parking is free. So as I say, that's 12th of September at the Red Hill Showgrounds, 9 until 3. Now also coming up on the 12th of September, um, there's a very special um, uh, meeting from the Alpine Garden Society Victoria. They have a very special international guest. Now this is going to be Chris Gardner, who's co-author of Flora of the Silk Road. Mm. Now, it's taking place at 3.30pm at the Kawara Hall in Kalorama, which is at 1190 to 1196 Mount Dandenong Tourist Road in Kalorama. And as I said, Saturday the 12th of September again. Uh, Bookings are essential. Uh, For uh, non-Alpine Garden Society members, the cost is $15. There will be afternoon tea provided and uh, the Calorama Hall I should say is located behind the Calorama Memorial Reserve there. Um, If you'd like for further information or booking details contact Diana. Now her number is 0407 490246 or you can email agsvic at gmail.com. That's agsvic at gmail.com. And uh, finally, the other one which I really need to mention, which is for Sunday the 13th of September. This is an all-day workshop uh, coming up, being held by the Friends of Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne. And uh, this is, as I said, an all-day workshop um, all about calistamins and the closely allied melaleucas. And uh, it should be a fantastic uh, day with a lineup of highly qualified speakers. Um, let me see. And, and there's quite a bit of conjecture about uh, 
if they should all be in the one family, if they should not be all in the one family. This is what botanists are doing to us gardeners. They're <laughs> totally confusing us all at the moment, <laughs> thanks to DNA. Uh, but anyway, cost is $60 for members of Friends of RBG Cranburn, $75 for non-members, and all importantly, $30 for students. So... Uh, I really do, as I've mentioned before, love the fact that uh, students are given um, a concessional um, entry to some of these things so that they're also able to be included. Uh, Now, you do need to book. If you'd uh, like to get any information on bookings, um, you can ring 8774-2483 or you can email... R.G. Elliot with two L's at optusnet.com.au. That number again, 8774-2483. Okay, uh, we should uh, try and take some more calls from our listeners. If you have a gardening question this morning or a comment to make, we'd really love to hear from you. 94190155 to speak to the team on air or 94198377 to have a chat to Liz on the outside line. Margot, what's happening in the nursery, first of all? Um, the nursery, well, it's just sort of Restocking, ready for spring. Oh, yes, it's as full as Google ready. Can't believe yes. it. But it, it, it is a bit stick city, you know, right. because there's so many deciduous trees. Of course. Yes, but um, I'm very excited because we have discovered this plant called a fiddlewood tree which I've got here. Right. Um, and you can't get them very much, but we're going to be stocking them. Um, it is a great alternative to um, a fine-leafed uh, lily pilly because we can't grow okay. lily pillies or things of that nature up there because it's too cold. Right. <laughs> and so to find a finer-leafed a hedging plant that will ev- is evergreen Right. And is tough as mm-hmm. and fragrant to boot. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, it has lovely long racemes of pinky white flowers in late summer and autumn, which is a really handy oh. time to have flowering. Mm-hmm. And like the uh, lily pilly, does it produce a berry? No. No? no just no. the fragrant flowers? Just a fragrant flower. That's the end there, that little bit hanging over oh, yes. the, the raceme. But, yes. But um, it's just a really rich colour of green in the growing season. Right now it's got its winter look. In the winter it, it gets a lot of orange on it. So that's a bit like the, you know, the lily pillies they get that yes. seasonal top growth colour. So it's a win-win thing. It's naturally a multi-shrub tree. Okay. Very big tree, but yes. if you start pruning it as a hedge in its early stages it's It'll terrific. really bush out yeah, sideways. Yeah, You can yep. see from this one it's got yes. lots of branching down the bottom. So really an impenetrable hedge. Mm. So I'm just excited about that. Mm. And it's called, well, if you just ask for fiddlewood, but it's one of those names, it's a bit hard, Citharexalum spinosum. Okay. And it's called fiddlewood because the timber is really valuable to make furniture and, and fiddles. And okay. musical instruments. So. Oh, right. So that's yeah. sort of fiddle, I think. <laughs> but also for whittling, maybe? Fiddling no, away? I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah. But surprisingly, it's from the Caribbean. Is so it now? just wouldn't think okay, right. that we yes. could grow it up in our, you know, frost-prone areas. No. And um, I've seen one now, uh, one of our customers, Pam, who rings in yes, regularly. Yes. She's got one being grown for quite a while in her garden. Okay. And it's, uh, it just took my breath away. It's so big and lush and fast-growing, so... Mm. I'm just excited about that. Yes, well done for sourcing that one. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to take off. What's the other one you've got there, Margo? Uh, this one here is a very odd-looking New Zealand plant called Karokia, <laughs> and um, it, 
It's not a pretty plant, is it? You've no, got, you've got to admit I wouldn't that. say it was not pretty. pretty. But um, I've been experimenting with those <laughs> and uh, making them into um, like a topiary mm. in a weird shape, sort of Japanesey shape. So okay. this one I put wire around. So I'm, I'm putting some of the branches out sideways. And then I prune it. It's got a naturally um, wigwam sort of zigzag look to the branches. Yes. Um, and in winter, it usually does lose most of its leaves. Gets little tiny flowers, but um, the leaves are often sort of grey looking, grey But brown. very, very silver under on the um, reverse yeah, side. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And that, that's the basic species one. It's tough as old boot. Okay. Takes the wind, salt spray, yes. salty water even a bit. Really? So again, it's another really... So good really for coastal gardens. Coastal gardens, but mm-hmm. also doesn't even, you know, look at the frost with any well, it trouble wouldn't. at all. Well, it wouldn't. No. I mean, you only need to look at the plant and the leaves are, are quite tiny and you can imagine that yeah. wouldn't be too affected at all. Yeah. But yeah. I, I've had one I've trained now for about 10 years and I took that into the nursery. Everyone wants to buy it because <laughs> it, it's got a lovely thick gnarled trunk. Okay. And all the branches are going in interesting directions and you just prune it out every... Every summer, you know, sit out on the deck with a drink of red wine or something, have a little <laughs> fiddle around with it and create little more air pockets in there. Okay. And it's just a really useful plant. But again, another good one to hedge. Mm. People do, you know, in New Zealand, they they quite often hedge them. The leaves look a bit like um, Muhlenbecker, you know, the yeah, maidenhair creeper. Oh, yes. Especially the new ones coming out down at the base of it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so that's my little joy for the moment. <laughs> I like that too. Because you can play with it, you know. Like yes. To, to As if you've around. got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> in the ground, Margot, in the, in the ground, how, how big do you think it would grow for you? Oh, I don't know. I've never put one in the ground but oh. um, because I always just play with them oh. <laughs> and sell them off. But, um, no, but we, we had one. Did you? Yeah. Um, Yes, it, 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 we, we've removed it because it was a kind of a uh, – we popped a lot of plants into a certain area and we were running short of room as things grew. But uh, it was up around about two metres, two and a half metres by about a metre across mm. and a lovely silvery-grey effect. And okay. Quite a yeah, nice lovely. thing. Okay. Well, it does say on the label it says height to three metres. Right. Um, mm. I suppose the house was about uh, four or five years old. Yes, mm. but very fast growing, mm-hmm. and really, if you forget to water them, they're very forgiving. So, yeah. <laughs> anything like that's good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, and anything that survives your winters is fantastic. Oh yes, to be appreciated. Yeah. Yes, but uh, we've been building our own garden, as I said before, and mm. um, I've had because we've got more room now than I've ever had before to play with, and it's quite a windy site. We've at the bottom of um, the Malmesbury Reservoir, so it's like a valley, and so the wind sort of cascades when it's from um, the west you can see it hurtling through and so we've had to you know I've been looking for things to use that will be tolerate all of those sort of conditions and uh, I was going to use lots of miscanthus and stipers Mm. and you know ornamental grasses yes but we've been experimenting with those and you can plant one day come out the next and it's gone (laughs) so our hordes of kangaroos are not allowing us to plant of course those but um, I have found that they don't touch dianellus and what did you call them before, James? You had a name for the Dianellas. For the Dianellas. Yeah, you were calling it a flax, a local flax, weren't you? Oh, I was referring to Lina marginali before. Oh, there um, we go. So, so different, different, different they, plant. Yeah, the, the, I'm surprised the roos don't eat the Dianella. They haven't mm. eaten them so far, but mm. 
don't know why. Maybe there's enough other things. Right. And some of the lamandras too. Which, oh, you yes. Know, I've always thought, well, that's the last resort. <laughs> but I'm now looking at them in a new light. <laughs> <laughs> But also they've they've done a lot of breeding with with the lamandras. Yes, mm. yeah, there's um, some beautiful ones. There's some beautiful ones out on the market now. Whereas you know mm. a few years ago it was sort of same old, same old. Yes, but yep. uh, no, they're doing a lot of work with with them. Yes, yeah, so some beautiful um, fine grey leaved ones that just flow beautifully in the wind. Yes, yes, and, and um, some of them are getting quite. They, they've they've managed to produce quite big uh, flower spikes too mm. on some of the varieties. Yeah, so you know all is not lost. Yeah. Life is a challenge. It is. How but big I, is the new garden? Oh, well, we've got nine acres, but we're only doing probably, oh, I don't know, <laughs> around, around, around the, the house. house sure. Of thing. And then sure. there's a bit of a lawn area, you know, sweeps down the, mm-hmm. the valley and um, we'll put some trees down the bottom there. But, it, again, it's a really good idea to live somewhere for, oh, at least a year mm. to see the seasons through and mm. the light and how things change. Mm-hmm. And just local conditions, because what I'd sort of planned on paper originally for a you know for a garden, it just has to keep changing because mm. everywhere you look now out of the windows, I can't put a tree there; it'll block the view. Yes. But I can't put it there. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's a it's a, an interesting challenge. Yes, well, it's 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 an ongoing challenge, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful. But fun, lots oh, of fun, absolute fun. Mm. And I've never, because we've lived in the city, never had the experience or the joy really of um, excavators. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're just amazing things. You can do things on a grand scale now. And, yeah, in one day you get them in, I mean, it costs the earth, but you know what they do in one day is mm. just incredible. And we had, um, we found these guys that have got. A farm with well, they've been doing the excavation, cleaning up sites for years, and they've got, I think, about a hundred acres, and there's full of rocks and sort of things that they've collected and had to take out of other places. Mm. And so they said, "Do you want rocks for a retaining wall?" Because we were envisaging having to build a very expensive stone wall. Yes. And they said, "Oh no, we'll have that done in a day." So uh, with a leap of faith, I didn't know what these rocks looked like. Along there came these great, huge boulders, like, mm. I mean, enormous things. And, they, you know, it was like Barney Rubble. <laughs> <laughs> they just dumped them in. I went, oh, my God, what have I done? But it was, it was almost like watching ballet, seeing them lift the, the rocks with the big claws and put them in place. Mm. And we had one dry guy in a, one machine doing that, and the other one was directing, just like watching a you know, conductor. Right. It was, was so good. Yes. A fantastic job. So Brilliant. Yeah, so really happy with that. Well done. Yeah. Well it's done. The, it's the ultimate gardening, isn't it? It's like oh. a machine with about 50 horsepower. Oh, it's just, and, you know, we, we struggle, you know, shifting loads of mulch and stuff, and they do it in five minutes. Yes, yeah. so I know. It's really worth, worth yeah. doing. Yeah. If you get a good one. Yeah. You are tuned to 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, of course, we're here every Sunday morning from 7.30 till 9.15. Um, we do have in the studio this morning uh, Margot McDonald from the Garden Tap Nursery up in Kyneton, James Beatty, who's a researcher on ABC Gardening Australia, and, of course, Jeremy Francis from Cloud Hill Garden. So if you'd like to join us and ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. So, James, you've been talking about um, you've planted up your nature strip. Yep. 
and it's already leaping forward. Yeah, there's a lot of new growth on everything that I've put in already. That's um, that's incredible. Yeah, the winter growing grasses that I've planted. So yes. so they will they will leaf out quite a bit before before spring and summer come, and then they'll slow right down before kicking back in next autumn when conditions are favourable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also broadcasted a whole lot of um, a whole lot of seed for a uh, local wall- wallaby grass. Um, it's uh, Ostradanthonia geniculata. It's a very, very low tufting um, variety of wallaby grass. It only gets about 15 to 20 centimetres high um, maximum. It's a good one to use for a, for a lawn replacement if that's the effect that you're going for. Um, and it puts up these beautiful little fluffy seed heads um, in in late spring and summer, and I've got that as kind of a as kind of a gap filler between all the all the tufted okay. plants that I've been putting in. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's going in going in leaps and bounds actually. So it's it's great. It's, it's starting to get that effect of walking out the front door and being in the front garden. Um, but the garden is – you get that feeling of extension already even though the plants are still quite small. Mm. Um, it gives the front garden a, a lot more depth than it, than it used to have and, mm. and it's going to be really good to watch that develop. Um, I've, I've got a whole bunch of seed for, um, for a, couple of, a couple of little native herbs and forbs. Um, Balbini bulbosa is always, is always a good one, but it's a bit too late to sow that, so I'll probably hold that over until next autumn. Um, but a whole lot of seed for the local yam daisy um, that Aboriginal people used as like a starchy staple once grew prolifically in the grasslands that surrounded Melbourne but is um, quite locally rare now. Um, I'm going to broadcast a bit of that around and try and try and get that growing as well. It looks, looks superficially like a dandelion essentially. Um, but it forms small underground um, tubers that you can dig up and eat, and you bake them up. They've got almost like a like a almost like a sweet coconut flavour to them. Okay, um, you've had a go. Yeah, I have. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I grew I grew a I grew an experimental crop of them in the vegetable garden um, last year, and they did they did surprisingly well. Um, but buying them in tube stock when they're about two fifty each, and you know, planting ten of them—that's an expensive crop of yam daisies. It is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'd, I'd never talked to anyone who had grown them before, um, and and the the tubers they produced were—I mean, they weren't large, but there were there were plenty of them. So, kind of the size of a the the dwarf Jerusalem artichoke that you can get. They were they were they were probably about that size, but a, but a little bit larger. Um, so it's, it's just trying to trying to get them to perennialize. I think is the tricky thing. So I think the nature strip could be a bit of a experimental um, experimental. How big is the nature strip? Oh, it's not it's not very big. It's probably about um, two and a half meters by about twelve or thirteen meters. So quite narrow. It's got a it's got a um, brush box, a Lefosterman Confertus, smack bang in the middle of it, with the crown cut out around the power lines. Mm. Um, <laughs> which which I have to say, um, I, I do think it's criminal. All the power should be underground in Melbourne. Um, mm-hmm. um, the sooner we do that, the better, because then we don't have to cut the grounds out of our trees. But we've had a very large population of Indian minor birds living in our street, roosting in the trees and. Just making making a pain of themselves, um, but since they've come to cut all the crowns out of the trees around the power lines, the birds have stopped roosting in them. Oh. So I've been very happy. There's one Small positive, yes, yes, that's come yes. that's come from it. <laughs> and have you had some um, good neighbour feedback? Do people like your? They have, um, yeah, and lots of people stopping and talking to me about it as well. So um, there's it's created a lot of interest in it. Um, 
and I I kind of I kind of pushed into the into the side of one of my neighbours' nature strips, so I got their permission before I did it, and I've put in a little pathway for them, so when they're getting out of their car, they're not they're not tripping over things and the like. Um, so they were they were keen to come on board, and my my neighbour on the other side, who's who's quite um, who's quite uh, uh, sceptical and just has an air of derision about him all the time about everything. Um, I said to him, well, you know, if we leave it for a year and you like the look of it, I'm happy to I'm happy to do yours and we can extend it up the street and, you know, I'm happy to look after it. You know, once you plant it, you do it properly. It shouldn't need a lot of maintenance and blah, blah, blah. So, and he's been he's been looking at it with an uncritical eye and saying, actually, it's, you know, it's looking really good and it's still only early days. So. That's great. Well done, yeah. James. <laughs> I could be gardening up the whole street. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how long is the street. Terrific. <laughs> 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 oh, it's, it's community gardening, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. Absolutely. Totally, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Let's go to our next caller. We have Jill, who's down in Dramana. Good morning, Jill. Hello, panel. It's Jill from East Brighton, but down at Dramana. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not out at Rose Creek, Jill. No, 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 sadly. Um, but, yes, look, I was... Um, just had been thinking about Jeremy's problem with the lyrebirds digging up his lawns and somebody else might have suggested this to you, Jeremy, but years ago we had a very enthusiastic Staffordshire bull terrier called Lola uh. who was an excavator <laughs> and we tried everything and what we found actually really worked beautifully in the end was that plastic green trellis that you can get at the hardware, you know the stuff at a roll, uh, you can just roll it out on the lawn and pin it down with small tent pegs and it disappears into the lawn and neither bird nor dog can get a, you know a raking action going because the um, the little squares of the of the plastic um, trellis stop them doing that. And of course, it's not a worry if the mower should hit a bit because it's only plastic, mm. not like chicken wire, mm. which is also I think much. Uh, tends to be sort of a bit more bulgy and difficult to, to make flat, and it disappears completely into the lawn. So. Um, um, you know, we found that, that that worked very, very well for the rest of Lola's life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes, um, and, and the other thing we had used to have a lot more before the drought, a lot of blackbirds that used to rake everything out, you oh, know, yes. of the garden beds. So I got some of the brown stuff, and you can just cut it very easily with strong scissors or secateurs, and I just would put a strip around the edge of the garden, on top of the mulch, uh, around the edges of the garden bed and again just pin it down with a few cheap tent pegs that I got from Ray's Tent City and that stopped the birds uh, in their tracks and uh, yeah, it's quite useful and you can just pull it up easily if you want to. Yeah, I, I imagine that would work actually, uh, Jill. Uh, uh, we, we did have a bit of bird, bird netting stretched over one or two of our lawns uh, that the uh, lyrebirds really uh, found something very tasty oh, early right, on in the yes, winter. Oh, not strong a, a to of, withstand them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but something plastic would make a bit more sense. Uh, bird netting, of course, that are caught up in a lawn bar would be disastrous. Yes, mm. yes. Oh, yes, that's, that's very true. And look... And I envy the, the lyrebirds too. I have yeah. to say, I'm a bird watcher. Oh, well, oh. I've, they're such extraordinary birds. <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're an absolute joy in their way. <laughs> yes, in their way, I know. <laughs> it's just a trade-off. Yes. <laughs> but they are the most wonderful things. I've read Tim Lowe's book too because I'm a bird watcher and uh, uh, it's fascinating. 
fascinating, you know, especially... Um, I remember David Attenborough saying he thought that the lyrebird was the best songbird in the world, and that was before even the DNA proved that it was the origin... You know, Australia is the origin of songbirds. Yeah, that, that, yes. that's absolutely right. It's only in recent years that yes, that's been discovered. Yes, yes. No, it's, it's, it's wonderful discoveries. Hmm. Anyway, look, I just thought I'd, I'd throw that into the mix and, and uh, hope it's some use to you. Yeah, well, thank uh, you for that, Your glorious garden. And I wish I was there yesterday seeing the lyreboot perform and seeing your garden. <laughs> well, you come up today and they'll still be there, I'm sure. <laughs> good, well, good, another reason to return. <laughs> okay, okay, thanks, Jill. All the best. Bye. Bye. As I said, that number, if you'd like to give us a call this morning, 94190155 to have a chat to Margot, James or Jeremy, or if you'd like to chat to Liz on the outside line, 94198377. Jeremy, I'm sure that, that Cloud Hill is about to burst forth too, like, like down here in Melbourne, though you'd be a couple of weeks later, I would imagine. You said the magnolia's ready yes, to go. Yes, well, imagine that magnolia's <laughs> finished in most parts of Melbourne. The, the yes. genidata, but ours is just coming into flower. Yes. Yeah, the, one or two of the rhododendrons, the, um, some of the, uh, the earlier ones, and, and the arboreums, which are always exciting. And um, um, we, we have a huge old arboreum delavei um, sitting on the edge of the restaurant car park, and uh, that that massive old plant, and um, Jim Woolrich always called it the rocket. Uh, it was his favourite rhododendron, and it's mine as well. It's just a glorious thing. I only recently discovered it's that particular form of the tree rhododendron is actually the floral emblem of uh, Nepal. Mm. Oh, really? Uh, which is really intriguing okay. because Nepal is the the world centre for rhododendrons. What nine hundred species, but I reckon three four hundred would be uh, indigenous to Nepal. Mm. Uh, but this particular one is their floral emblem. Right. Beautiful thing. Beautiful when it's not flowering too in in fresh leaf. Um, um, ours is uh, well just coming into flower. Flowers for three months too. That's flat. fantastic, it starts, starts, isn't it? It starts flowering in August. There'll still be a few flowers open in November, so straight through spring. Mm. Wow. What mm. colour? Uh, red, absolutely brick red. Uh, the the arboreums are fascinating because it's most probably the most widespread and common of all the rhododendrons, and it grows all the way from China down through Sri Lanka. And there's, uh, where we have the Chinese form there's, that's flowering at the moment too, um, and there's a selection of that called Campbelli. We have two of those right next to our restaurants. And, and then we have the Sri Lankan form, which is Arborium zelenica. And uh, the, the, uh, my little patter, it's, of course, by the time you got to Sri Lanka, you're down to the equator. So you've got to plant uh, a tree wanting to flower in the spring growing in a part of the world without any springs. <laughs> <laughs> so this yes. one is, is absolutely intriguing. It's uh, completely lost its flowering period, and we never know when it's going to flower. Mm. Flower for us last, uh, the autumn before last, and, and uh, last year, uh, last summer, it's flowering through summer a little bit. It can go for two years without flowering. We just never quite know. Mm. <laughs> it hardly ever flowers in the spring, I might add, <laughs> some other time of the year. Okay. But it's magnificent and right next to the uh, the deck uh, beside our restaurant. So those uh, intriguing thing there is I think they were the only plants the Warwickshire's grew just for fun because <coughs> they, they're magnificent plants, but they have very short stems below the trusses and uh, so they can't be picked and put in a vase. No, right. So you just got to enjoy them on the plant. 
uh, which is an easy thing to do. Oh, yes. very easy. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of other things come into flower. The, the meadows, uh, grape hyacinths all coming into flower. Mm, yes. And, and, and in fact, uh, I noticed the first bluebells flowering just yesterday, which oh, rather wow. surprised me. But yeah. in fact, I was thinking, gee, that's so early, I should really mark it and, um, and just put it somewhere more prominent. Uh, the rest of them will be another three or four weeks. But the uh, grape hyacinths are uh, well and truly flowering. Mm. And, various other things. Yes, mm. fantastic. Any any other plans for the garden? You've you've done um, quite a, f- a few well, new things over the last couple of years, haven't you? I yeah, <laughs> I hardly dare say this. I'm chatting with my neighbour about a project, but I've, I'll I'll need to get a bit more into it before I can really. Talk too much about it. Fair enough. But this is how uh, mysterious. See, the, the, well, uh, the Woolwiches in the old days had 80 acres, you see. Wow. We've only got five acres mm. out of the 80, although we do work in with one neighbour with another five and we lend a bit of a hand there. But this is uh, yet another neighbour who has eight acres and, uh, and, and the top of the property is a narrow property running straight down the mountainside and the top is Woolrich planting. The middle is a lovely patch of eucalyptus regnans, which uh, lovely cops, which we kind of use as our focal point for one part of the garden. Mm. And uh, then down below there's a it's kind of a bit of a mess, which needs sorting. The wild but, garden. Jane. Well, it's unfortunately it's sycamore, so oh. so that needs needs to be sorted. So that's that's what we're suggesting, uh, to mm. trying to figure out how we sort out this rather nasty weed, uh, which happens to be growing right next to the Emerald Springs, which are down below all three properties, mm. and so that's ecologically important. Mm. Yes. So so anyway. Chatting away, figuring it out. <laughs> this is you in retirement from the nursery, uh, well, Jeremy. Well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go to a few of our callers. We have our good friend Sue in Mount Evelyn. Good morning, Sue. Hi, Pam. How are you? I'm well. That's good. I have a um, question for Jeremy um, on verbascum, not the normal white verbascum, but I got given some um, seed pods of the purple verbascum. Now, with the white one, I normally put the whole little seed pod in the ground, but when I've opened these little seed pods up, there's more seeds in it. Is there a special way to sow the purple verbascum? Because I know it's not as vigorous as the white one because I don't want to waste the seeds. Never tried to grow it from the seed. Um, But I imagine we're coming into the season when it's uh, best most likely to germinate uh, well. Mm. Um, yeah, some of them do germinate. Are they done from cuttings? Well, the ones we're growing at, we, we generally do grow from division, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, of course, there's the uh, there's a the whole group of verbascum that grow quite rarely from seed and seed themselves around. Yep. Um, there's two or three of the yellows. Um, one or two <laughs> growing almost too easily. Yep. Um, and the purple, I'm, I'm look I'm, quite honestly, I'm not not absolutely confident. Um, but uh, most of them seem to germinate quite readily in the spring. Okay, so wait until yeah, like now another to do it another two or three weeks, I would imagine. Okay, just a little bit more warmth than we seem to be having at the moment. Yep, and actually separate the little seeds out. It, Oh that, yeah, you yeah. would. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, 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 David Glenn at Lamley has 
quite a collection of verbascum, so I'm wondering whether it might be better to check with him. Okay, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I know Tesla do it too, but I I haven't asked them how... Um, yeah, well, I suspect David would be the expert on okay, the Okay, I'll that give area. him a ring then. Mm. Okay. Okay, thank you very Good much. Good luck with that, Sue. Okay, bye. bye. And next up we have Ken from West Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, everybody. Look, okay. I'd just like to give you an update on our fight for our park. Yes, please. We had an independent hearing a couple of weeks ago, and they say they're going to uh, bring down their decision, which I've already think they have. Uh, on the 9th of the council meeting. Oh, okay. Um, so <clears throat> uh, we're just standing by to see what happens. We 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 we, uh, we gave an aw- awesome report. Uh, there was eight of us, yes. and we, instead of repeating repeating ourselves, we we all sat down and worked out what we were going to talk about. Brilliant. And we did it, and not one of us. We spoke on flooding. We spoke on all sorts of things, and just went through everything. And it was really, it was really spot on. And even the, the hopefully these independent umpires uh, said what a, an excellent report it was, and Good. we were very professional, Good. which we always have been anyway. So let's hope the right decisions brought down. Although the weather might be getting a little bit warmer to take a park over. Also, uh, I went to a demo. Uh, on Friday, and uh, I was, was outside of Parliament House, and uh, I thought I'll go and see the Premier. And I dropped a note to the Premier, and hopefully he gets back to me and we can have a have a talk to him because he said that he didn't think that administrators should be selling off what's owned by the ratepayers. Fantastic. So I'll well, keep you informed. Well done, Ken. So, well, it's not just me, it's the whole of the committee. Yes, and, um, yes. We've always stuck together in West Sunshine because we changed the whole structure of the western suburbs because they wanted, the Hamer government wanted to make it a dumping ground. Mm. And from, from, from just the end of Sunshine to Hopper's Crossing would have, would have been a horrible sight. And it's through people standing up together. And um, six years, there was 10,000 residents that marched down the road and that's the turning point of mm. the... And so we're going to do. We're going to save this park. Of course you are. There's been <laughs> too much effort and love gone into it, Ken. Anyway, thanks very much, and I'll let you know what's happening. And, and when we do the indigenous planting, um, we're going to invite indigenous people in the area too. Wonderful. And um, so, and especially all you people. Great. Can come. I know Millie's very keen to turn oh, up. That's fantastic. And I'd love to meet the lot of you. I've spoken to you for years. And I, I, you I, certainly I have. Put, I can put a face to some of you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you Fingers very, very crossed much. for the 9th, Ken. I certainly will. Okay. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Well, we've actually got a, a similar little thing happening in Alinda at the oh, have you? Uh, yes, uh, uh, the old golf course, which uh, yes. the golfers abandoned uh, three or four years ago because, well, the side of a mountain's a ridiculous <laughs> spot for a golf course. I once walked around <laughs> with my father, and uh, I think three of his balls sort of just never stopped. They just kept rolling and disappeared. <laughs> and he was—he he only played that course once. And right. <laughs> uh, but it's but it's a magnificent piece of land, and it's a magnificent views. So and over the last two or three years, it's been abandoned as a golf course and the dog walkers have taken it over. Okay. And uh, I did actually, I was with a group of people a few months ago and they were all wondering what was going to happen. And I said, well, call it a common. And anyway, there was a meeting, dare I say, <laughs> a few weeks ago with our 
local member who happens to be uh, uh, fairly uh, one of the more prominent um, um, politicians in the state government, and um, and it's actually parked Victoria land, and it's they've decided that uh, they will allow the community to take it over. Uh, must probably allow a year or two for various ideas about what exactly to do with it. Right. It's got to be maintained as open space, but otherwise it's up for grabs. Um, so it's definitely going to stay as open space. It's Wonderful. definitely going to stay in the hands of the community. Uh, at the public meeting, I think about half a dozen people stood up and they talked about the common, dare I say. <laughs> I sat very quietly. And, uh, and um, um, well, it's, it's, it seems to be heading in the right direction, so it's quite exciting. So has a committee been formed? Well, it's just in the uh, it's it's just very loosely in the hands of the community, but right. uh, there are one or two. Yeah, there are there is a local committee that yes, is good. keeping an eye on things and keeping in touch with with both uh, Parks Vic and with um, James Molino in this case. Okay. He happens to be the local member. Yep. Mm. So I presume, um, hopefully, they're going to call for submissions eventually for ideas. Yes, yes, I imagine it'll take two or three years. Oh, yes, um, and it. Well, it's um, well, I, I, of course. If you go to England, there's commons everywhere, <laughs> and it's something which is you don't think of in Australia. That's it's, it's we we do have land. For instance, our beaches are always uh, in the, the hands of the community. It's it's mm. common land. Yep. And in England, they have a coastal walking path right around the entire country, which is a huge distance. Mm. Um, but there's commons everywhere, mm. and I think. Uh, that idea, uh, I think that could be something that could be taken up by local communities in those circumstances. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm. That's so. quite exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I presume the bunkers are all still there at the moment. <laughs> yes, gradually, yes. They're still there. <laughs> Walk around and... With my little border terrier, and uh, and uh, yeah, the dog's always very, very happy. Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> oh, in fact, I said there was a, was a photograph of the local paper uh, with uh, about twenty of us and with about thirty dogs, and it's kind of intriguing. I've never seen so many dogs of different shapes and sizes, <laughs> but they're all so relaxed that they're all in this photograph, grip photograph, and just sitting there with dopey grins on their faces. <laughs> oh, it's great fun. <laughs> I've actually been part of a, um, a an unofficial dog group because we all used to happen to go to our local park to walk our dogs and we, we tended to get talking to each other, get to know each other and that sort of blossomed into a, a Christmas party, a dog's Christmas party every year and, uh, of course, there always had to be the group photo including all the dogs and some of the dogs had come dressed up, you know, they might have a... <laughs> Reindeers. Uh, yes, reindeers or, you know, Father Christmas cap on or it used to be quite hilarious. I'm afraid in our part of the world the dogs quite often are dressed up. <laughs> they just need that little bit of extra protection, yeah, of certainly course. at this time of the year. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good luck to to the group and, and, and it's again, it's another win-win for the community. It's yeah. fantastic. That's an absolutely glorious part of the mountainside. Mm. Spectacular views. Mm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, let's go to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Pam and Jeremy. And who else is there? Margot McDonald and James Beatty. Oh, 
Oh, welcome, everybody. <laughs> um, I'd like to say what's happening on Thursday evening, 7.30 right. onwards at the Herb Society. Yes. And we meet at Burnley Horticultural College in Room 10 in the Cream Brick Main Building. And Sarah Martin's coming to talk about the plants that she uses to make insect repellents and deodorants and... Everything's made by her, and she's been doing it for 20 years. So right. That'll be fascinating. She's also bringing the oil she uses, mm -hmm. and so it'll be a fascinating three-dimensional presentation. Fantastic. Times? And 7.30. Right. And that's September the 3rd, yes. Thursday, and we have herbal supper, and uh, yes, um Ordinary herbs, not not mind-shattering ones. <laughs> and um, we have a very big welcome. We usually have about 40 people. Mm -hmm. Cold nights, something, well, you know, it was a bit smaller in July, but yes. So it's always an interesting evening, and um, one can park uh, if one gets early because there's not many classes at that time. Yes, so that's right. very good. Right. Yeah. Now, Jill, the Herb Society is out at uh, Rose Creek Estate today? That's right, at 2 Craig Avenue, East Keylor. And, um, yes, Marion Bond is going and um, Heather and a few other people as well. So, so have they got, what have they got, herbs for sale? Or? They do. Yes, right. And look, the sun's just come out as we said that. Okay. <laughs> question please certainly um i've got nandina domestica that has grown up to about three or oh, a meter and a bit more and i'm wondering when i should prune it and um you know it, it's got its autumn leaves on the moment but i want to sort of bring it down a little bit or bring some of it down and then you know gradually change it so it's more bushy James, thoughts? <laughs> um, well, I'd say probably. Oh, I'm not sure, really. I've never, I've never really pruned one, and it sounds like you're going to give it a bit of a hard prune too. Mm. But um, I think I might do it gradually. Mm. Is it the tall one, the, the normal domestica, or is it the nana, the dwarf? No, it's, the, it's the domestica, so it's, it's quite tall. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, I've had yeah. it there for mm, thirty years, and it just gradually. It's a very, it's a facing east. <clears throat> Maybe I'll just do one and see what happens at different times. Pace it out. <laughs> Be experimental myself. Well, oh, you, can, you can just I, thin those out. I mean, yeah. They're tricky to cut back because you, it's hard to keep the... The, the grace of the plant, mm. uh, I'd, I'd oh, yeah, imagine. Yeah. Uh, but thinning of... it out would be useful. We, we, we have a little collection of bamboos and we put a root uh, barrier around them to, to make sure they behave themselves. They're all cool climate running bamboos. Uh, but it is, but we do have a program of going through each season, each uh, once every 12 months and thinning them just so that they. Um, um, that we keep the freshest calms, and I, uh, and it, although I mean this is called sacred bamboo, it's obviously not a bamboo, but uh, it but it has, uh, but it's called that because it has something of the same growth habit 
So you could treat it the same way. Mm. Yes, well, I'll do that. Then. Well, Virginia, who's uh, putting the calls through this morning, has said you can actually prune it as hard as you like yeah. at any oh, time. Oh, yeah. Oh, you won't kill it, that's for <laughs> no. sure. Yeah. 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 Chop it back to the ground if you like. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll be brave uh, and, and then do the other half if the first half gets fine and bushy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you do it, much. chop it up and feed it and you know, you'll get some lush new growth. Mm. True. Yes. Yep. yes, I'll do that. I've been doing neglected parts of the garden bit by bit, you know. Don't, don't try to do the whole thing at once. Do, you know, six square metres and that's it. You know, that's mm. that weekend and then another one. Okay. Anyway, so thank you very much. Okay, excellent. Thanks for letting me tell about the Herb Society. That's fine. Can I just say the website again? Yes, sure. au, And I've got the speakers on there and I write articles about children and herbs. I write timely herbs. The latest one was about... Um, slugs and the the plants that are more likely to fester than those that are tougher, and I put in um, articles about gardens that are lovely. And uh, Jeremy, I'll put in one about yours. There you go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, all the writing is mine on that website, so it's <coughs> I love doing it. So okay, excellent. Thank you. Okay, bye, Jill. Now, we've had a, um, a message from a listener on the outside line. Now, this, Sue, if you're still listening, uh, a listener has rung in to say that she uh, sows purple verbas- verbascum in a pot. Uh, when the flowering has finished, she breaks the pot open and the seeds are in the base and she just plants them out. Hmm. So, um, yes. Straightforward. Very straightforward. Mm. So, yes, I'd, I'd be inclined to wait a couple of weeks, I think, until yeah. it just starts warming up and the soil gets a bit warmer. Yeah. But, yes, okay, excellent. All right, uh, let me see. I think we have uh, Spiro online in Williamstown. Good morning, Spiro. Uh, good morning, garden crew. Uh, look, I have a uh, question regarding an avocado tree. Uh, looking to plant a variety called Words. Understand it's dwarf. And I understand it's got reasonable flavour. Um, firstly, if it's dwarf, what height or what sort of height will it get to? And do you think it's got a good flavour and a good prospect in the area I want to grow it in? Um, how's your soil there in Williamstown, Spiro? Um, look, the soil is heavy, but I've worked it heavily with um, adding compost and gypsum, so it's light, friable, and the, the bed I'm choosing is elevated. Right, right. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you've done um, uh, enough soil prep for it to to do all right, I reckon. Um, and as far as dwarfing avocados go, um, I'm I'm not too, I'm not too sure how small or how how large they're going to get. Um, I I would imagine I've I've never really talked to anyone who's grown worts in Victoria before. Um, the variety bacon tends to do a bit better with our colder winters here. Um, and and one, one one thing with establishing an avocado in Melbourne, it's really important to water it really, really well throughout summer um, for its entire life, but especially in the first couple of years. Um, and one thing to remember is that they are they are rainforest trees in their natural habitat, yeah. so they they actually like 
quite a bit of shade in their first three or four years of their life. Um, I know um, I know Karen Sutherland, who's who's on here regularly. She recommends um, protecting them quite extensively in the first few years, um, which makes a lot of sense when you think about where they grow naturally. Um, and she she also grows um, a second avocado, a Hass, as a pollinator. She finds she gets more fruit if she grows two. Yes, Karen and I discussed this at length because we mm. each had. Um, just a single avocado in our gardens mm. and um, more and more um, talking to other people we're finding that um, although they say you don't need a pollinator you we're finding that from experience people are getting more fruit and better fruit set mm. by having a second mm. avocado mm. Um, the other thing is that um, I know that uh, diggers last year for the first time actually sold what they call a true dwarf avocado that's much, much smaller. Right. Um, it might be worth you um, inquiring of them. Uh, I've, they haven't listed it for this year yet. I think it's a bit early for mm. them to, uh, to be selling it. But um, that might be another thought if you mm. haven't got room for two big avocados. Mm. Um, to think about one of those little small uh, dwarf ones as a second planting nearby. Mm-hmm. And, and what of the flavour of the bacon? And with the bacon, how sort of tall does it get? Because I am restricted in terms of height, right? Um, given the uh, the site uh, restraints. Right. Well, right. there's no reason why you couldn't prune it. Uh, no wife, reason at all. My wife doesn't like me pruning trees. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> so, so I'm obviously trying to... Um, yeah, I'm trying to sort of avoid a future uh, catastrophe in that right. area. But right. uh, in terms of the flavour of the bacon, is it reasonable? Or? Well, it's one of those. It's one of those large seeded ones, mm. and so so you know, it's not. I don't think it's going to have the depth of flavour of the Hass, but but I think it would still be. I think it would still be all right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your uh, for your advice there, and uh, really appreciate you and uh, the whole show and three CR. Thank hey, you. Guys. Thanks, Vero. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> And we have uh, Christina, who's in South Gippsland. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Pam. Um, I just have a question as well as a comment on the Nandina. Right. I don't know whether I've got the domestica or which one, but I've got a few. But now and again, I just prune back what what I want to take off if one's coming out a bit further than the others and the, I then strip off the stems at the bottom mm-hmm. and put them into the ground and I've propagated that many Nandinas from that way okay. and put them wherever I want. Mm. Um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a problem. You just keep the water up and um, over the next couple of weeks and you've got another Nandina. Okay. But also I, I wondered if I could ask a question. Sure. Um, our back lawn has got all these little piles of dirt coming up and quite a big area and my husband's been wondering if it was a, a grub in the lawn or what. We Googled it a bit and he saw that it, it said earthworms. Um, would that be what would be happening? It seemed as if the lawn around those holes was dying a little bit, but maybe we're not, um, that it's not dying, but it's just these little piles of dirt either side. Overnight you get more mm. and more. Sounds to me about... like it might be curl grub. It could be. Yes, Sorry. Or ants. Or ants. Sometimes they do that. Oh, do they? I think with the lawn dying around it, I'd I'd be tending. Have you noticed if the birds are, are coming down to the lawn at all? Um, well, there are birds around, yeah, but 
um, I see them out the front here near our bedroom window every morning and um, it's not happening in the front but it's happening in the back um, where, where you can see my husband's just calling out I don't know whether he, <laughs> he's listening in the other room right <laughs> There's quite a few beasties live just below the uh, uh, in in Lords, and the certainly Lord. we've we've had flocks of currawongs uh, going along helping themselves because because we've had a little bit of rain the last few weeks. It, it's uh, 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 quite a few beasties sort of come right to the mm. surface, mm. Right. and so well, they're more noticeable. Oh. Yeah, the, the fact that it, they might be damaging. I mean, some some of the, the earthworms are not going to be doing much damage, no. but it, so it doesn't. In our case, it's mainly earthworms, but uh, in your case, it sounds like a could be cool grub or something which is actually eating the the roots which would eat the roots of, yeah, the, of grass. the grass and, yeah. and damaging the grass. Yeah, right. Why why don't you dig down? He said there are birds too, but yeah. um, he's tried digging down to see, and he so had you haven't found little, anything. No, he had some little granules that he he was putting around the hole, but it didn't seem to stop. Um, what what can you do if it is the what did you call it the curl grub curl grub yeah what there, can you there do is a that? product on the market I can't remember the name of it can you um, Margo no but just go to a, any but nursery yeah if, and, you, if you go to a nursery and and right. just say you suspect you've got curl grub in your lawn and they there is a product out mm. on the market specially for that are they very big yeah they're quite a mm. quite a big white Worm that that's sort of curled in like a crescent, about, about two centimeters, I yes. would say. Yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah they, you, and they literally are curled up a little bit. And yes, and would they come out at night more? Because there seems to be the piles of dirt seem seem to be more prevalent. How, how 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 large are the piles of dirt? Oh, it'd be half an inch high. Okay, and quite yeah, that, you know, I'm, I must have been wondering about the piles of dirt. There, mm. there could be could be something else, but. Um, curl grub generally stay below. Yeah, they do because they're actually in a white sack, and they mm. uh, when they emerge, they're a beetle. Mm. Oh, okay. So they wouldn't be sort of digging things up towards the surface. Is no, the lawn have... is the lawn quite damp as well? Or um, yes, I think so. Rob would Rob this, this time of year it would be, I guess. <laughs> Because I know husband. I know you can get those little crustaceans. They're like little they're like little yabbies and things that live oh. in that live in quite quite yeah. wet areas. And, and, and they, and they, they come up as little piles of pellets. Yeah, so they, they, they're they creating so little reservoirs them. for themselves mm. just below the surface, and then they show up in moist areas too. Mm. Okay. Uh, so, so they're a possibility. Yeah, right. they're, so, so they have... are actually a, a freshwater crayfish, aren't mm, they? they are. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, we'd have to spray something, a chemical well, of some kind, would we? Well, they. We don't like behave chemicals. themselves. <laughs> you just kind of ignore them, and yeah. it no, might I, just pass. It, it, time. Yeah. It might be all the wet weather. Yeah, I think and coming I, up for a bit of air could definitely be a factor. Yeah. I think. I think right. once we get into spring and and the rain kind of eases off a bit, they might just move on of their own accord. Mm. If it is then. Oh. Mm. oh well, thank you very much. I love your session. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> thank I, you. I, we've learned a lot. Good. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. Pam, Jeremy. Pam, can I just leave there? Yes, uh, just, uh, just mentioned the Australian Landscape uh, uh, Landscape Conference, Warwick Forges, Warwick and Sioux Forge, I should say. They're their big baby, which they hold once every two years. So, uh, so it's a, quite a special event. They they have uh, it's coming up in three weeks' time, nineteenth and twentieth of, of September, mm-hmm. and they. Uh, I've been along to quite a few now, and uh, although the, Australia's top landscape architects come along, I'd say about half the audience are just ordinary, serious home gardeners uh, who who just want to hear extraordinary um, people talking about their projects. Mm. And, and so there's always a, a, a good number of uh, overseas speakers. There's 
uh, two from France this year. There's one from Greece. Uh, um, two locals, uh, Philip Johnson, just down the road from us. He's, okay. he, he'll be doing one of the presentations. Yes. And a gentleman from South Australia. Uh, the, the most intriguing one, there's quite a few South Americans appearing at these conferences. And D- Diana Wiesner uh, from Colombia. Now, Colombia's, and I've never been, and, you, and people have sort of uh, slightly shepherded this thoughts about Colombia, but it's one of the world's most extraordinary countries, uh, very mountainous and a beautiful mm. flora. Mm. And uh, she's going to be talking her about her work in uh, Bogota, in the, this, this city which has gone from 1 million to 15 million people in the last not very many years wow. and, and, and trying to make sense of the landscape in that under those circumstances. So just going along to here, that would make it worthwhile. Oh, but gosh, these, yeah. these things are just glorious. But if you Google landscapeconference.com and you can get the full guff, and coming up in three weeks' time. So Where's it being any, held this year, Jeremy? Um, it's it's in the um, the the uh, conference centre in town. Okay. And whatever its name is, the the near Jeff Shed. Jeff Shed. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And uh, oh, look, I've, I've had some of the most glorious weekends uh, that I can think of uh, attending these conferences uh, with Patrick Blanc one year. Oh yes, he I just about when he landed came out. on my lap because he was running backwards, <laughs> forwards on the stage, going right back, <laughs> leaping forward, and I was sitting on the front row, and I thought. He's going to end up in my lap. He's going to end up in my lap. And, and uh, uh, um, Tom Voltz from America talking yes. about his work with the 7-Eleven aircraft that came down and yes. his work in New Zealand. Right. That was I, I just that, – that resonates from mm. four years ago. Yes, very passionate so that, yeah, speakers. So there's always yes. someone, mm. uh, two or three people at these conferences that Stand just – yeah, that you walk away and think, wow. Mm. Yeah. Juan Grimm from Chile was, was my yep. at the last yep. conference. Juan Grimm, another one. Yep, yeah. absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, so that's all coming up in three weeks' time. Three weeks, yeah. GoogleLandscapeConference.com. Fantastic. It's time for us to go yet again. A big thank you to the team and also to Virginia and to Liz who've been handling all the calls this morning. We, of course, will be back again uh, next week at uh, 7.30. Until then, bye for now. Bye for now. Until then, 30, uh, 7th week at uh, next week. Then, uh, we'll be back again. We, of course, morning. All the calls this morning, handling all who've been to Liz, Virginia, and so to the team and all.